So before we get started, let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful, we are so grateful that we can be here this evening. Lord, we pray that you would remove the distractions of the day. Lord, the things that occupy our mind, the things that um, maybe we put in front of you first. Lord, we lay these things before you, ask that you would forgive us, and Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the strength necessary to do the things you've called us to do, the courage to do them in a manner at which glorifies you. And Lord, just give us perfect peace, knowing that your will is being done. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. I pray, Lord, that your word is heard tonight, your word goes forth, and penetrate the hearts of those hearing us, and may they apply, Lord, these things in their lives, the lives that you saved, Lord, for your glory, for your honor. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read just a quick little thing that I found um, online. And you guys may have heard this. I hope you didn't. I found it kind of interesting. Um, but if you heard it before, I apologize. But I think it'll kind of put things and start to put things into perspective. A man came home from work and found his three children outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud with empty food boxes and wrappers strewn around the garden. The door of his wife's car was wide open, as was the front door to the house and no sign of the dog. Walking to the door, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over, the throw rug was against one wall, and in the front room, the TV was loudly tuned to the cartoon channel. The family room was strewn with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink. Breakfast food was spilled on the counter, the fridge door was wide open, and dog food was spilled on the floor. Broken glass lay under the table, and a small pile of sand was spread by the back door. He quickly headed upstairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried that she might be ill, or that something serious had happened. He was met with a small trickle of water as it made its way out of the bathroom door. As he peered inside, he found wet towels, scummy soap, and more toys strewn on the floor. Miles of toilet paper lay in a heap, and toothpaste had been smeared all over the mirror and the walls. As he rushed to the bedroom, he found his wife, still curled up in the bed with her pajamas on, reading a novel. She looked up at him, smiled, and asked how his day went. He looked at her, bewildered, and asked, what happened here today? She smiled again and answered, you know, every day when you come home from work and you ask me what in the world do I do all day? <laughs> yes, was his incredulous reply. She answered, well... Today, I didn't do it. <laughs> so men, how many of us can be guilty of this, right? Um, actually, men, with a show of hands. <laughs> now, at times, um, you know, we struggle to appreciate the things that we're blessed with, right? Maybe we even take them for granted. 
and maybe even get to the point where we think we deserve something or that we've earned something. And sometimes we genuinely do appreciate something that someone has done for us. But for the most part, there are, ty- there are things in our lives that we consistently struggle to recognize as a blessing. I hope in life we don't gloss over these things. I hope we don't treat them as nothing, especially as believers. We need to truly appreciate the blessings of God, first and foremost, but also the blessings that we receive from others. And men, if you're blessed with a wife and children, and maybe you're the sole provider or the near sole provider, when you come home after a long day at work, and the house is maybe a little bit messy, maybe the dinner's not quite ready and you're hungry, Don't give her a hard time. Just love her. Recognize that she's a blessing from the Lord. She's a gift. Um, and even pitch in. And I say that because it's, it's hard to see the blessing in life sometimes. Now, this obviously isn't just for men. And these kinds of things where we fail to recognize blessings for what they are um, have been around since the fall of man. And there are certain things that we can say, yes, this was from the Lord, right? A new job opportunity at work. Maybe, uh, you know, blessing of being able to finally pay off a credit card or a student loan or, you know, something of that nature. Maybe a family member finally makes a decision for Christ, and it's been through prayer year after year after year, or a close friend. These things are blessings. What about times when we find ourselves in situations, though, that the world would find difficult? You know, maybe we get to work one day, and we hear the word, sorry, but we're moving in a different direction, right? Um... We have to recognize that life itself is a blessing. That man was created from dust, formed by God, loved by God, life breathed into this form. And the fact that we're here today is a huge blessing. And we can't let things that we may think are bad news get us down. Because a few years ago, on my birthday, in fact, there was this emergency meeting that popped up in my calendar. And so I, and it was like two minutes from that particular moment in time. So I you know, went to grab my laptop, and at the same time I was doing that, my director was walking behind me. She's like, oh, you're not going to need that. I thought, that's weird, because I've never gone to a meeting where I haven't needed my laptop for notes taking or... Um, you know, watching a deck or something. And so I follow her down the hallway. I go into a room, a conference room, and my VP is sitting there. And he says, hey, Trevor. And I knew. Right? The look on his face, the look on her face, I knew what was happening. And he proceeded to tell me that due to some 
business decisions, my role would be eliminated. And I would have opportunity to find things in different parts of the company, but as of that date, I was done. And interestingly, you know, looking at him, it was a very, and if you ever had to deliver that message, it's a very hard message to receive, yes, but also to give. And I actually felt bad. I felt more bad for him than I felt for myself because he had to do that all day for multiple days straight. And, um, you know, I had opportunities. I interviewed it for different things. And I had opportunities to um, take other roles in the company and didn't have peace with it. So through confirmation from the Lord, lots of prayer, I accepted the severance package. And so would I say that was a blessing? Yes. It was a huge blessing that the Lord gave me actually on my birthday, ironically. Because in that time, the Lord did a work in my heart, in my life. I was able to assist in areas where I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And I wouldn't even have heard him saying a lot of the things that he told me during this time because I was too busy being busy. So, yes, it was a beautiful blessing. And obviously, when you get news like that, you know, I get in my car, I leave for the day, and I get in the car, and I have to call my wife. So, man, how is she going to take it? So I call her, and I said, hey, just, I'm coming home, and just so you know, I, I was laid off today. There's no easy way to say that. You can't break it to her. So I was just like, laid off. And she says, you know, I had a sense that the Lord was going to do a, a change in our, our work situation. She was prepared. The Lord had prepared her. She didn't tell me that until I told her the news. And she was good with it. She's like, yeah, we'll be fine. I was like, okay, well, as long as you're good, I'm good. So, you know. Um, so, you know, even those things are a blessing because we don't know why the Lord does what the Lord does. And what about when your health fails? When you're diagnosed with a disease and experts don't know what to do? We know from reading scripture that um, Jesus and his ministry encountered many people. They were demon-possessed. They were blind, lame, and some of them had disease. And Nowadays, if you are diagnosed with something, there's, and praise God, there's support groups. There's people you can turn to, organizations that will help, all sorts of stuff for people that need the help. Back then, it wasn't like that. You were shunned. You were ignored. You were set aside for, to wither and die. And one of the diseases that Jesus encountered in his ministry was leprosy. It's defined by the Eastern Biblical Bible Dictionary as a smiting, a stroke, because the disease is regarded as a direct providential infliction. The word leper is Greek, and it means a designation for the disease from its scaliness. It made your skin very scaly. There's a lot of descriptions of it in the Bible. We're not going to go through them now, just in the interest of time. Um, but it, the, the disease began with little specks on your eyelids, and then it started to spread over your body 
over a period of time. And eventually, you would die from this disease. But isn't it interesting that when you look at how leprosy is described, even in that small description, it begins to, once you're inflicted, it begins to spread over your body. But this also accurately describes how sin does the same thing in our lives. It might start with something small. It begins to spread. It begins to become stronger, deeper. Our connection to it becomes stronger. Our ability to overcome it becomes impossible. And so this kind of sets the tone for what we're going to read um, in Scripture. If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. And we'll be reading verses 11 through 19. And if you don't have a Bible, if you raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one in your hand. And chapter 11 starts, it says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, he met, he met men, him, ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us now through your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for your example. Speak to our hearts now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so you're able to break this scripture down into many different ways if you so choose. Thank you. Um, when I read these, three distinct things kind of stood out. Desperate display and deliverance. In verses 11 through 13, we look at desperate. In verses 11 through 13, you say again, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Remember, if you were someone who had leprosy, in the scriptures you read that, and it didn't matter if you were Jewish, if you, whatever you were, you lived in the same area, and you didn't have rights. You, didn't, you couldn't call out. You couldn't greet your, your friends, your neighbors, because part of that culture, when you greeted somebody, you would embrace them. You're not allowed to touch anybody. You couldn't raise your voice. You couldn't do anything. And so when you think about these things, these men, they see Jesus, and they simply don't care. 
they see hope. But think about these men for a second. <clears throat> They're outcasts in society. They don't have anybody to turn to except for themselves, but that doesn't offer much because they can't offer much. But when you read that, have you guys ever wondered who these men were prior to contracting leprosy? What were their occupations? Do they have family? What was their status, their financial situation? Do they have siblings, family members, brothers, uncles? Do they get invited to the biggest parties? Who they broke bread with? And the list goes on. And then they come to find out that they have this disease. And they know what it means. They know what it means that everything that they hold fast to, that they hold strong to, they know what getting this disease means for that. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter who their friends were, who they knew, what parties they got invited to, what jobs they had. And you know what's changed from then till now? Nothing. It still doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus. Jesus matters. Do you know Christ, and does Christ know you? So regardless of who these men were before, strangers are now fearful of them, and they, they avoid them at all costs. Co-workers will turn their back on them. Friends no longer speak to them. And family likely wishes they would just go away because they're just an embarrassment at this point. And so where do they go? Who do they turn to? And when will their pain and suffering end? And looking at our life today, maybe some of you are thinking, this thing that I'm going through right now, this season is hard Yes, it is. It feels as if it will never end. Yep. My friends won't understand. Maybe not. And perhaps you even attempted to confide in a friend, but they failed you somehow. Or maybe you're too ashamed or proud to go to the pastor or an elder or church leader, and so you think there's nowhere I can go, no person I can turn to. And we don't need a life-altering or life-ending disease for us to have this thought. Maybe you never asked Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to be your Savior. And you think that all this sin that I've accumulated over my years, it's, it's too much. The things that I've done, it's, it's too bad. And too often in our life, I think we, we say that it's just the, not the right time. I deserve to be angry. It's not the right time for kids. It's not the right time for this decision or that. I want to live a little bit first. I want to accomplish this or that. And I have to clean up my act. I have to do these things before I can do that. And I don't have a right to call on God. He would never forgive me for what I've done, what, what goes through my mind. We have to remember Romans 5.8.
But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Something to think about. And as we're living our life, who, who is trying to get in the middle of it the entire time? As believers, we have our eyes focused on the Lord. And who is there to remind us of our shortcomings, our failures, our weaknesses? Who's calling to our flesh, lying, trying to deceive, trying to convince us that it's too late, we're not strong enough, we're in too deep, placing triggers and traps and roadblocks and everything in our path. Marriages end, families are broken, relationships are lost. The list goes on. Our situations are desperate. We are desperate, just completely lost. But we have to remember Jesus is bigger than this. We're not alone. And we have to remember we are not strong enough, but Jesus is. We are in too deep, but not so deep that Christ can't pull us out. And those things that are triggers that are hard for us to overcome, that are impossible, they are. But Jesus, through Jesus, they're now possible. And he'll always be there for us. And as scripture tells us, never leave us nor forsake us. So now as we read this disease, we're not allowed again to call out in greeting. It was forbidden. But they call out anyway. Have mercy on us. They didn't care if they would get in trouble. They thought, my situation can't get any worse than it is now. What can man do to me at this point in my life? And so they call out. Think about, think about the words in that one sentence. These men, the, the bottom barrel of society, they recognize Jesus even as he's passing at a distance away. And they called him Master. They weren't too far away for him to hear. They could have thought, he'll never hear me. He's too far. Our family members aren't too far. The things that we're dealing with, they're not too, they're not too bad. But what about today? Is Jesus in our presence today? What is our response now? As believers, do we truly believe that he's strong enough to overcome those things we can't? As non-believers who the Lord is softening hearts, what is our response? I find it interesting because there's no chance that Jesus went that particular way. He went that way for a reason. And as he passed through that area, Samaria and Galilee, it wasn't because he got turned around, forgot something. He purposely went that way, which meant he went there knowing that these two men these ten men, would call out to him. He wanted to give them a chance. The opportunity to call upon him. Do you ever think a blessing from the Lord is just some strange happenstance? Just some great and wacky coincidence? He wanted to bless you. He loves you. And this is true in our own lives. 
our own testimonies. We're, we were living in the world, doing our thing, and then Jesus gave us an opportunity. Many opportunities, maybe, before we actually got our act straight. And so they call out to Jesus, they lifted their voices, they don't care about the repercussions, they don't care about the other people, what they might say, they don't want to miss the opportunity. That opportunity for them in that case only presented itself once because Jesus was actually on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the will of the Father. He wasn't going to pass through that area again. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't come at a different time or in a different way, but he knew these men would be there at that particular time and they had this disease and it was their, oper their only opportunity to call out to him. These men wouldn't have known that, but Jesus would. And so today, if you don't know the Lord, if you are struggling with something even as a believer, is this your day to finally put those things down? To finally set aside whatever thinking you're going through? and just say, Jesus, take this? We don't know if it's the last time. We don't know if he's going to give us other opportunities. But he does. And this might be the last opportunity. We live in a very dark world, but Jesus will make a way for us. This actually brings us to our second point, display. Verse 14. So, so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And the second part of this verse is display. So what does it mean to display? These men, in their desperation, they cry out. He responds. He clearly gives them an order to go and do something. And he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, if the first time you read that, you thought, what? That's kind of a strange response. I'm asking you to cleanse me of these things, and you want me to go show myself to a priest? But remember um, that it was the priest's position to reinstate you back into society. So he's telling them something that they would be very familiar with. But even as they start to go, they still had this affliction. They still had this disease. And it wasn't until they took a step of faith that this disease, this thing that it was impossible for them to get through, started to they started to be healed from this. And so when they did this, they had to be obedient to Christ. They couldn't concern themselves because now they're, they're leaving their area, which is very illegal to do for them, and they have to go. They... they could have been gathered up and, and killed. They could have arrested. Any number of things could have happened. But they were obedient to 
God, to Christ, and they started to walk. They started to go show themselves to the priest. And this is such a beautiful example of his love and his grace for us. And how many times we find ourselves in a situation where we need to concentrate not on our circumstances, but on Christ and what he can do. And how many times have we been dealing with our issues or a brother or sister walks up and says, please pray for me. I'm facing this tonight or tomorrow. I have this test or I just found out these results. God says, I know you're dealing with something. But you're also filled with the Holy Spirit and we also have to be there for our brothers and sisters. And these men walked out of there with hope and Christ was on display in their lives. Is Christ on display in our lives when we walk? And here it's easy because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we love each other. We're in fellowship. When we're in the world, in our workplace, when we're by ourselves, is Christ still on display? Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, the, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we display Christ in our lives, in our workplace, in the grocery store, in our cars? It's been said many times that when people know you're a believer, they're watching you. How you act in situations, how you react to situations. The things you say, the things you don't say, the things you watch and listen to. And while most of the time it makes them uncomfortable, you don't get included in the, the luncheons, the after-hour parties, which is a good thing. Um, when things become very difficult in their life, that's, they come to you. Because they see, if they see Christ displayed in you, they see consistent love. They see a consistent thing that they can't understand. They can't grasp but it's comforting and it's warming and, and inviting. And they, so they come to you knowing there's, there's something that you have that they need at that point in their, their life. What they don't understand is they need that always in their life. But they see it in you if you're displaying the light of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, Go forth today by the help of God's Spirit, vowing and declaring that in life come poverty, come wealth and death, come pain or come what may, you are and ever must be the Lord's. For this is written on your heart, we love him because he first loved us. David Jeremiah said, don't let obstacles along the road to eternity shake your confidence in God's promise. 
The Holy Spirit is God's seal that you will arrive. And folks, we will arrive. We're going to face trials and struggles that will likely almost kill us. They're going to be embarrassing. They're going to be any number of things. But we ha- our hope, our trust is in Christ. And he will get us through those things. Don't give up hope. Because hope, who is Christ, hasn't given up on you. This brings us to our last point in interest of time, deliverance, verses 15 through 19. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But there But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now we talked about the desperate situation these guys were in. If someone delivered you from the hardest time of your life, obviously you would give them thanks. But Jesus, for a reason says, were there not ten? Because there were. But only one. One came back. But look at the, that one man's response. When he realized that he was healed, and remember, he had to take a step of faith first. And as he was walking, he realized, hey, this pain is gone. I don't have these sores. At some point in his journey to go show himself to the priest, he realized that Jesus had healed him. And so he returned. And I don't, we don't know how long, how that long that distance was. But it probably wasn't too far because Jesus was still in the same area. And we don't know what the healing process looked like. We don't know that if as soon as they took the step, boom, they were healed, and it just took them a while to realize it. We don't know that if it was a step-by-step, like the Bible says, he's a lamp to our feet, that after each footfall, a little bit more was healed. We We don't know that part. But we do know that through their faith in Jesus, they were healed. Jesus did heal them. But isn't, isn't that our life in the Lord? As we walk out our own faith, doesn't our own faith grow? And our trust in him grow? Our love for him and others, do, do they not also grow? And to the point this growth, this healing takes place, that at some point, They're healed. They're completely healed of this affliction that was killing them. Certain death. Outcasts in society, they're healed from it completely. And one man returns to glorify God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. 
think about that for a second. With a loud voice, he gave God the glory. He falls down at the foot of Jesus, and he gave him thanks. I hope we read that and don't just skip over it. This man truly appreciated, not that the others didn't, not not saying that, but this man truly appreciated what he was delivered from and out of. And Jesus said that it was his faith that made him well. But it was only by the grace of God that any of this took place. His response, the Samaritan's response, is the response that we should have and maintain. To never forget our true love. Jesus saved us for his glory, for his reasons. We should never forget that. And a lot of us, when we were first saved, man, we couldn't wait to share our faith with everybody else around us, and then something happens, and all of a sudden, we're afraid. Like me, I was afraid to be here, to do this. doesn't make any sense. We're not supposed to have a spirit of fear. Scripture says he didn't give us a spirit of fear. But I think many times this actually describes the lives of many Christians. We want the blessings of God, but not a real relationship with the one who made the way. We want to be recipients of his love and his grace, but not completely surrendered in obedience or by walking by faith. We want his truth as long as it conforms to our version of truth, and we accept his will but only in a life where our will aligns to his. Leonard Ravenhill said this, and he never really minced his words. He said, you're willing to go to the cross, but you don't want to get on the cross. Leprosy, in many respects, represents the sins in our lives, the filthy and rotten condition of our heart the darkness that permeates in so many parts of the life in this world, the destruction and horror it brings. But it's the very reason we need to accept the Lord as Savior. The very reason we need to display the light of Jesus, to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the living water that quenches thirst for eternity. As we close... Something I came across, I'd like to read. This is, um, it's borrowed from this article, May 2012, is from a chartered accountant student who um, was getting ready to graduate the school. And he's having this conversation with his director. And this, this young child, this boy, um, kind of always took it for granted that he was going to the school and his mom was actually the one that did a lot of the work to make sure he, you know, he was going there. And so the, the director was just asking him about that. And he says, um, 
he asked him, you know, have you ever even talked to your mom about this? Or, you know, and he said, no, not, not really, no. So the director said, I have a request. When you go home, go and clean your mom's hands. And then see me tomorrow morning. So the youth felt that this was his chance of landing a job was high because now he's talking to this person about, you know, this, this job possibility. And so he went back. He happily requested his mom to let him clean her hands. And the mother felt strange, happy, but with mixed feelings. She showed her hands to her son. The youth cleaned his mother's hands slowly, and his tears fell as he did that. It was the first time he noticed that his mother's hands were so wrinkled, and they were filled with cuts and bruises. And some bruises were so painful that his mother shivered when they were cleaned with water. This was the first time the youth realized that it was this pair of hands that washed other people's clothes every day, which had enabled him to pay for his school fees. The bruises in his mother's hands were the price that the mother was paying for his graduation, academic excellence, and his future. After cleaning his mother's hands, the youth quietly washed all the remaining clothes, and that night the mother and son talked for a long time. Think back in Scripture where we read the description of the crucifixion. Think about where Jesus came from. The life that he lived here on earth as a man. What he did for us. What he saved us from. What did Jesus go through? What did he endure for us? The betrayal, the temptation, rejection, mocking, spitting, incredible tortures we won't get into, suffering. And we read about the story about this mother and the son, and, and truly a wonderful story, for sure. And a sacrifice that so many mothers, my own mother, made, right, for us. But think about the outstretched hands of Jesus Christ, his nail-pierced hands, how he hung there on the cross for us, for our sins. Our sins kept him on the cross. And we weren't even alive yet. These are for sins that we still were going to commit, and yet he hung there for us. He endured the suffering, freely loving and dying for us, a death that we deserve, but he did in place of us because he loves us, and that love is inconceivable. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And think about that beautiful promise, those three little words, it is finished. He overcame sin and death. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The power to give up his own life is beyond our comprehension. 
he wasn't killed as much as he was captured. Being killed describes the thought that someone took the life of somebody who couldn't help themselves. It was beyond that person's control. That's not what happened. We know that. John 10, 18 says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. He freely gave up his life to save ours, and he and he alone has the power to do so. And we, as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, have that same power within us. How can we overcome these things that we're afraid of? Because we have that power. How can we, we find it in ourselves to keep going when everything else says give up? Because Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Scripture reminds us in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made a way for us, the only way. Please don't let anyone or anything in the world tell you different. Jesus is the only way. There's no other religion. There's no other thing, no amount of meditation, no money, power, status, None of it matters. We saw that from these ten men. These things that they had obtained in their lives didn't matter. It's not even mentioned in Scripture what they did, and there's a reason for that, because it doesn't matter. The things that matters is to know that Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to, for a specific purpose. He will give you the endurance, the strength, the tools, the wisdom, everything necessary to do what he's calling you to do. You just have to be willing and obedient. He protects us. He strengthens us, comforts us, and loves us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Do we believe these things? Do we appreciate them? Do we take for granted all that Christ went through for us? Are we the nine who I firmly believe they, they had to take a step of faith, they were healed, but they never came back to give thanks? Are we the nine that live our lives that way as believers? Or are we the one who came back and said, thank you, and then devote our lives, surrender our lives for his glory? So I ask, just in interest of time, take a moment before we close and pray.